Good evening, Patriots. And it's the evening of Wednesday, November 9th in the year 2022. As the East Coast spirals into Thursday, one of my busiest days. Four shows tomorrow. Don't forget, Brighty on TV tomorrow as well, which is really awesome. Patriots, one of the things we do need to be concerned about with this lunacy of a government and leadership that we pretend to have, but it's really a hand puppet on a stick, is we have to be concerned about our hard-earned wealth. And that's something we've worked hard to build and something you want to preserve. And quite frankly, biblically, we need to get it out of paper currency and into hard, tangible asset. And that's why we have Birch Gold. Patriots, we are living through a time when inflation is continuing to plague our economy, our families, and our savings. And the irresponsible spending of the left just continues to exacerbate the problem. This year, we witnessed almost every kind of negative economic record, from empty grocery store shelves to 40-year high inflation. Don't let your savings wither away. Hedge against inflation with gold from Birch Gold. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 for your free info kit on diversifying into gold. Plus, when you do it this month, by Black Friday, get a free gold bar with every purchase that you make by December 22nd. With almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and claim your free info kit from Birch Gold. Again, you can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account, and Birch Gold will help you do it. Once again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and ensure your eligibility for a free gold bar with every purchase. Secure your future with gold. Do it today. Remember, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Oh, yeah. That's the way to take care of your stuff. Get your 401ks into a into an IRA with Birch Gold. Text 989898 and text the word BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. Hey, we have in our chat tonight, we have got Carson's footwear. Carson footwear. I'm going to tell you, I'm wearing a pair right now. They're the awesomest. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. An awesomest shoe. I love them. You need to check them out. They're American made, 100%. So cool. And he uses like technologies that he had to go back to the 50s to find the right equipment so that he could make them in the States. He's a great guy. And he's like in the in the shadow of Nike. He's like, it's truly like a David and Goliath story. I love it. So great company, Carson Shoes. Carson Footwear, I'm sorry, Carson Footwear. Because they're actually, they're a running shoe and they are so comfy. So that is the best. Check it out. Love what he makes. He haven't sent he sent me a pair just for Bards Fest last year. What a cool dude. Very cool company. Cool people. We need cool people. We need cool patriot companies is what we need. Patriots, you know, we've talked a lot about well, we've talked about a few things. We've talked a lot about the red wave that was actually like a red puddle. You know, and I told you we have a new song like this one. 
I like this song. I'm beginning to think this is the appropriate theme for the week. I'm just a girl, a wonderful girl, the sweetest one in town. Yes! For miles around and no one like me can be found. Nope. I've got a smile, a wonderful smile, a certain little way. Oh, yeah. Time the boys get near me, they look at me and say, It's not a red wave. Red hot mama. Red, red hot, hot mama. mama. You're the one we need. Oh, yeah. Red hot mama. Some charmer. Oh yeah. Say that I should be. It's not a red wave. In the follies, hot not a chance. Say that I got a pair of eyes just like old Sven Valley. It's up. I confess that I possess the sweetest charms in town. Oh really? And unless I miss my guess, the boys will follow me around. I could make a music master, drop his fiddle, make a bald head, a man put his hair in the middle. I'm a red hot mama. Red, red hot, hot mama. mama. I have to turn my temper down. Okay, there we go. That's it. That's what we just had. We had a red hot mama of an election. <laughs> We're all dancing and going, oh my goodness. That was so exciting. Yeah. Well, but you know, we have talked about is <laughs> forgiveness and justice. And I want to, I want to keep this light. We kind of got serious the other night. Like we've been getting pretty serious about the topic. And so how can you get serious when you've got a red hot mama in the house? I'll tell you, I found that piece today and I was like, that sums up everything for the whole week. Red hot mama. So, but you know, we were, we're all kind of looking around going like, what the heck? And I just was reading in, in gateway pundit, which should come as no surprise. You know, here it is breaking. They did it again. Two massive unexplained ballot drops gave Gretchen Whitmer the lead in Michigan. They ran a drop and roll in Michigan last night, and then they've got more of this happening all over the place. Look, oh, and by the way, there's a new transgender Democrat wins Minnesota House seat in landslide victory. I, yeah, whatever. Oh, my goodness. We need some Jesus in this nation. Here's what I wanted to kind of hit on, though. In all of this thing, we have this difficulty. I I perceive it to be. Let me be clear. That there's a difficulty in in discerning the true sense of what we are talking about when we say forgiveness and when we say justice. So I wanted to start out by saying that God tells us we have to forgive because if we don't forgive, he can't forgive us. And that's, that's pretty as clear as it gets in the Bible. So this is a very difficult thing because I, I've read this a lot. We had some kind of heated conversations on the board, and, I don't, and it doesn't bother me. I hope it doesn't bother anybody else. But when, you forg- when you're forgiving, you're not giving up justice because that's where the problem is. is in this culture, when you hear the left talk about it, like the New York New Yorker or whatever it was, the Atlantic the other day. Oh, let's have an amnesty pandemic or a pandemic amnesty or whatever they called it. Let's just forgive and forget. No, let's not forgive and forget. Let's forgive you. I will forgive you for the burdens you put on my heart because I'm not going to carry any anger towards you because that's what God's asked me not to do. But I am going to pursue absolute accountability and justice for the crimes that you did, but I'm going to do it with an unburdened heart. And I think this is very important because otherwise we start to tread very dangerously 
where justice transforms into vengeance. And, and that's really important. And the other part is that when we get into this thing of forgiveness, and I've talked a lot about it, but I just want to be very clear because I think that there's some misconceptions or have been that like, because I saw some last night light when I talked about it, it was like, well, I can't forgive the pedophiles. I'm not asking you to invite them to dinner and I'm not asking you to wipe away their crime. Matter of fact, I'm not asking anything. God's telling us from the standpoint of what one does to the other, we have to forgive that to take that off of our heart, knowing that he brings justice and he brings vengeance. That's the critical piece here. But justice is also intended and expected that as Christians, we bring justice to this land. We can't let crime get away with everything. The key to me, and then, and I'm, we're going to read some interesting things out of the Founder's Bible in a minute. You have to take the anger, the hatred, the anxiety, whatever you have, fear. You have to take that from your heart and you have to give it to God. Because in doing justice, justice should be blind. Not emotional, not driven by vengeance, but blind. Meaning that it is equal. Now, here's the thing. Most people aren't even accustomed to this. UCMJ, which is a military code, of, uniform code of military justice, is as close to you get, as you get to blind justice. And let me tell you, most Americans would lose their gourd over this thing because you don't get plea bargains. You don't get to bat your eyes nicely at the judge and say, oh, it's my first time doing this. It's pretty direct. Like you do something, there's a, there is a crime and a punishment. And that's what keeps order in the military. It's very efficient. It's not belabored. Not long jury trials. You don't get a lawyers pleading garbage for you and trying to get you out of something which you actually did by some technicality. That just doesn't happen in, in the military justice system. And that's, like I say, it's probably the closest example as we have of this. So if you know, if you your first time getting a speeding ticket or whatever, and you're going to try to talk nicely to the police officer, blind justice is you 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 sped. You're accountable for what you did. So there's a penalty, and you do your penalty. And with that, there would be a forgiveness, meaning like we might take it off your record this time if you do certain things like community service, giving to your neighbor, whatever. But if you do it again, it's not going to get any easier. You're going to keep doing it. There's penalties and there has to be delivering of justice. We have to do that. So let me read something here. This is out of the Founder's Bible. This is page 161. And it's titled, The Ten Commandments, The Moral Law for Nations. And it starts out, four spheres of jurisdiction are established in the Bible. Four areas in which God establishes levels of governance and to which he gives specific instructions. They are one, the individual, two, the family, three, civil government, and four, the church. First, God created Adam as an individual and dealt directly with him. And noted scriptures are Genesis 1 to 2. Second, God placed Adam into a lifetime heterosexual relationship. Remember, there's only two genders. With Eve, and they had children, which transgenders have a hard time doing. Then, thus establishing the family, 
That is dealt with in Genesis 1 to 4. Okay, next. Third, as families grew and increased and began to form cities, God delivered specific instructions on how individuals were not only to conduct their horizontal relationships, in parentheses, the laws and standards to use in treating each other, but also on how they were to choose leaders to enforce those laws and standards. In example, civil government, which was referenced in Genesis 9-6, Exodus 18-21, and Deuteronomy 1-13-16 and 16-18. Fourth, as families and societies increased, God also gave specific instructions to the growing group called by name, by his name, on how to conduct their vertical relationship with him. In example, the temple or the church or what we would understand as the community of God's people. This was dealt with in Exodus 25 to 31, Leviticus 1 to 27, and Ephesians 4. Some mandates in the scriptures are directed to all four of the jurisdictions, such as directions on moral behavior and rights and wrongs, but others pertain only to one and not to the other three. As an example of the latter, Romans 13, 1-6 makes clear that God has given the government the sword of civil justice to punish societal evildoers and that it is for this reason that citizens pay taxes. While there is a sword of scriptural self-defense that may be wielded by other entities, only government may bear the sword of civil justice. And whenever any other entity wrongfully takes up the particular responsibility, it consistently malfunctions, as evidenced by the numerous atrocities that occurred after the church took up the sword, such as the slaughter of Jews, the Inquisition, etc., God gave the Romans 13.4, sword of civil justice, only to civil government. So this is an interesting discussion. That's why I wanted to go through this, because it's a very well-written section here, talking about the different levels of law and what it means in Scripture. And I think a lot of this then leads us ultimately to a greater understanding of our roles in justice and equally our place in forgiveness. Look, I, I need to be clear. I'm very big on talking in the terms of individually talking and doing, individually on forgiving in the sense of what burdens my heart. Because once you get that, it's, there's so many variations or so many ex- examples of this in the sense of martial training, martial law, martial war, warfare. You can't be burdened with the anger, the hatred, the vengeance that is easily crops into your heart. You are most effective when your mind is clear and your heart is unburdened. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful tool. And it's not giving up the the need to administer justice 
and greater the need, the requirement to administer justice and the necessity in society that everyone be held accountable. But accountable is one of those things that loops us back now to forgiveness because God has told us that we must forgive. What God didn't tell us is forgive and don't do anything about the crimes that they do. He's never told us that. In fact, we have an exceptional, clear example of crime and punishment, which is the relationship to doing harm to the little ones. In other words, children. And that is very clear. It would be better to put a millstone around his neck than to be, and to be cast into the sea than to have to stand before father for crimes against the little ones. I don't have, if you can imagine that level of punishment and what it, why being thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck, which probably would result in death, <laughs> just saying, but not a pleasant one. As you drift down deep without oxygen and swallow half the ocean, that sort of thing. But imagine that it is said that it would be better to die that way than to stand before Father. Can you imagine that? I mean, that kind of sounds like a bad outcome before Father. Sorry if I'm laughing. I'm just thinking of some of these pedophiles of what it was going to be like when they stand before Father and try to be cocky. It's going to be like, uh-huh. That is when I've told you I'm going to be in the back going, elevator, man, I'll take it. I'll take the job for a week, please. He's going to be like, oh, you. I, I know I created you, and you really do want that job, don't you? I'd be like, yes, I do, Father. I've got my steel toe boots and I'm kicking their tail right in that elevator and I'm pressing the down button. Can I press it more than once each time? Because they're staying down there. But you get my point. Okay. And it's, it's an important point to grasp because we are not talking about weakness in any of this. Unfortunately, it is difficult to preach these things from the pulpit because too many of our pastors lack a martial orientation in life. And I truly mean what I said. I didn't say all, but I said too many. And too many of them are too willing to sell out towards the easy street of love and hugs and and hippie dancing in the streets or whatever they imagine in their head. And then paint these fictional narratives about heaven being covered with streets of gold and we're going to have parties of spaghetti and kick the soccer ball together and all get together in a reunion with our family and friends. That is just fantasy world. Instead of getting tangibly anchored into what we as Christians are required, forgiveness is a hard and disciplined process. It means that we have to dig in to find out what is holding us and binding us. Imagine this in terms of forgiveness. Someone does something. We're going to use a tangible example. You lose a family member because they took the vax and they have died as a result. It is natural to have righteous anger towards and expected almost Actually, yes, not almost. Righteous anger towards the criminals that did that to your family member. But when they are able 
to turn your heart into anger and hatred and emotions that control you, they have won a victory over you. When you release that through forgiveness, they cannot control you. And you can have the love and compassion necessary to walk in the space, but equally to have a clarity in your heart to wield a severe justice. Remember, one of the things we forget about truth and love is we always paint these things as being wonderful experiences. Truth hurts when done to some, and love often is painful because it's you're loving somebody through tough love. And tough love is discipline, it's accountability, and it's justice. Because it has to be an order of things. What you don't have is the cancerous sense of anger, hatred, and these, these emotions that tend to rot us from the inside out that lead our hand of justice to vengeance. What we seldom consider in terms of justice is a penalty that ultimately restores the individual towards God. I heard a story recently, and I just think this is a really good one to give an example of personal accountability and consequence. It's an individual that had accepted Jesus, that had been, was out of jail, and they did another crime. And they ended up being thrown back into prison for a long time. Well over a decade was their penalty. But their response was this. I have done the crime. My penalty is just. So I know now where Father needs me to be most. And I am now giving sermon and leading others in the prison to Jesus as part of my walk with Father as I do. You see, that is a, it, it, this story opens my eye. It really touches me because this is a person that actually gets it with their own mistakes in their lives. So let's continue reading here a bit. So this continues. Likewise, the scriptural directive to bring, in parentheses, children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It says Ephesians 6.4 is pointed at the family, not government or the church. Now, that's a super important understanding right there as we talk about this whole process because what are they trying to do right now? They're trying to get the government to bring up children. They're directly violating the biblical directives of God, and people are going along with it. While both of the others may assist in strengthening the family, meaning the government or the church, it is not the responsibility of either to raise children. Understanding this, the U.S. Supreme Court long recognized the limits of the government's jurisdiction, acknowledging that it was that it was the God-ordained right of parents and guardians to direct 
the unabridging and education of children under their control. The court was unequivocal. It is cardinal with us that the custody, care, and nurture of the child reside first in the parents. It is in recognition of this that these decisions have been respected the private realm of family life which the state cannot enter. Just the idea that you actually have to fill out a form for homeschooling is in violation of this, but that's a sidebar. The idea that there is a limitation to where justice can come and where the government can intervene, that's law. Family is sacred. And that's very critical in all of this. Similarly, the directives of Ephesians 4.12 to prepare believers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ is pointed at the church, not the others. So you can see that there are distinct layers and places where the concept here we are dealing with, which is the Ten Commandments and law, moral law. There are limitations to where they go. And again, all this is ultimately going to loop back to forgiveness. Probably not all tonight, though. God clearly gives specific instructions to particular entities, and because of this, when we read the scriptures and we see command, we should always ask ourselves, to which spheres did God give this command? For example, in Matthew 22, 35-36, Jesus says, The hungry are to be fed, the thirsty given drink, the naked clothed, and the sick and those in person visited or I'm sorry, those in prison visited. When Jesus gave that command, was he directing a, directing this to a government? Definitely not. He was speaking to the righteous, that is, to his followers, either as individuals or as the church. Similarly, in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, Christ instructed his followers to go and make disciples of all peoples training them to follow his ways. This command, like the one above, was given to his followers as he ascended into heaven. Thus, this command can apply to the individual, the family, or the church, but not to government. As affirmed by early American minister and theologian Samuel Sphere, the state as a political organization has never been trusted by the divine founder of Christianity with the duty of its propagation. He never said to the state, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew twenty-eight twenty. He said these things to his apostles and those who through them should believe on his name. The apostleship of his word he located in his disciples and followers and not in kings, governors, rulers, senators, or legislative assemblies. So at the core of that, if you're going to have to if you're going to go visit prisoners, for example, there is 
probably a little place in there you're going to have to find some room for forgiveness. And all of this uh, that you're hearing that Christ was push, was leading to, there is justice, but we have to remember there is also the point of restoring and salvation. We're quick at wanting to draw the, the sword of steel, quick at it. And it's understandable in this day and age. I'm not taking any of that away. We're dealing with an unprecedented level of evil. But we can't lose our way in the midst of all this crazy in the sense of how Christ intended for us to walk. Now, there are some significant differences between the time that Christ was on this earth and the time that we are here. One is the speed of insanity. We can see things go from normal to insane in seconds and violent insane. And ultimately, that's at the hands of a, of a powerful demonic influence that's moving through this nation and this world. And it's only gotten worse with the injection and the influence of media and propaganda and whatever else. And so we've arrived at a place where we are constantly thinking of self-defense we're talking about, we think constantly in terms of violent action and response. And we're conditioned that way very well through a plethora of media and a cultural framework that accepts that. Castle laws as one example. Again, not judging that, but I will put it like this in a different level. When you're dealing with operators of the highest level in this nation, the best, when I, I'm not talking about Ma Bell. I'm talking about tactical special operations operators. Their discipline and training is massive and extreme. What most people don't understand is the amount of preparation and vetting that goes in before that trigger is actually pulled. So let's take a couple of examples. Let's take that there is a hostage situation in an airplane. And there's going to be a need to breach that aircraft and save the people. And there has been a decision made because there is extreme and imminent danger to those people that the form of justice that will take will be lethal action unless, unless there is a capability of subduing one of them, meaning the hostage takers, the terrorists. Otherwise, it's kill on target. So lethal, lethal action is prescribed. But what isn't prescribed is the injury of anybody in the plane. So there are literally hundreds of hours spent long before they ever get to that place of a discipline in shooting and a drilling in precision firing with speed and accuracy that's almost superhuman to witness on the outside. There is... That what you see sometimes on the internet with some of these guys that shoot, they are exceptional. But they have literally put thousands and thousands of rounds down range with a very specific intent to administer a very specific justice. What isn't in their heart when they do this is vengeance. Nor is their anger. This is a clarity of mind when they go in in a mission that the heart is actually clear. The mission focus is there. We are on a mission, and that mission in this world 
is to occupy and expand the kingdom and ultimately subdue all things to our rule. We have dominion. What it doesn't say is do so with a malicious heart or a vengeful heart because that's where the forgiveness comes in. And all of that roots back to the framework of how God sees us, how he has administered and spoken to us in terms of the moral law, which is broken down again into the four areas, the individual, the family, civil government, and the church. In this day and age, the individual is often corrupted with a very poor level of scriptural understanding. The family is broken more times than not. Civil government has become an overbearing totalitarian regime that wants us to worship it like a god. And the church, to a large degree, has become bankrupted at the pulpit that teaches things like peace at any cost, become a doormat, and forgive everything with no consequence. So the corruption in teachings are, are broad. And everything that we're talking about here is to restore that back to the scriptural frameworks so that we can start reestablishing a true moral law in this nation that doesn't get confused with the things like forgiveness and the delivery of justice. I'm going to continue. While scriptures make clear that the state may encourage religion, its role is not to evangelize or discipline or disciple in Christianity. It simply provides a family atmosphere wherein the other three may freely do so. And just as the church is incompetent to wield the secular weapons of civil justice, so too the state is incompetent to wield such spiritual weapons. But just as there are unique responsibilities pertaining singly to each of the four areas, there are also spiritual responsibilities that apply equally to all four. To better understand which commands in the Bible apply to all areas and which to specific and which to specific ones, it is necessary to understand the four types of laws in the Bible, all four which were well understood and regularly com- commented upon by the founding fathers. This is very important because we lack any of this education these days. Here are the four laws that were very well known to our founding fathers that come from the Bible. The ceremonial law, the moral law, the judicial law, and the social compact. The ceremonial law relates to temple regulations, symbols to sacrifice, worship, dietary laws, and the nature of which was considered clean and unclean, laws of purification, etc. These were given to Israel in particular and considered temporary as types and shadows prior to the gospel and Christ's death on the cross. As explained by the founding founding father Noah Webster, ceremonial law, the mosaic institutions which prescribed the external rites 
and ceremonies to be observed by the Jews. For Christians, this type of law has been superseded by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all of the requirements of the ceremonial law. He is now the means by which individuals are made righteous. No more sacrifices or shedding of blood for the remission of sins is required. As Hebrews 10, 4-14 affirms, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He, Jesus, takes away the first sacrifices in order to establish the second righteousness. By this will we have been sanctioned through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who were being sanctioned. The result of Christ's sacrifice is given in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him with He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become righteousness of God in him. Now that the substance is here, Jesus Christ and and his anointing or atoning sacrifices on the cross once and for all, the types and shadows of, The ceremonial law are no longer the focus, as evidenced by Peter's encounter in the book of Acts prior to the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the Gentile house of Cornelius, Acts 10. While Peter was on the roof, he fell into a trance and had a vision of of a sheet being let down from the sky with all kinds of unclean animals, birds, and creatures represented And God spoke to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleaned no longer considered unholy. So while the ceremonial law is one of four types of law in the Bible, because of, the, of what Christ has done, it is no longer an active obligation for behavior today, but remaining three definitely, but the remaining the remaining three definitely are. So we're building through this, we're going to be building a foundation of understanding the law and the moral law in the scriptures, which is ultimately going to lead us to justice and the need and understanding of a greater, deeper understanding of forgiveness. That's the whole objective. I'm going to continue this tomorrow night. We'll get into these, this, the next three types of these laws, the frameworks of the Bible. And I'm hoping this is a bit helpful because I think this is a very critical time that we get very, very clear in our heart about forgiveness, justice, accountability, and righteousness. We were just shanked, literally, by the deep state. And by deep state, it's all the ruling elites. They played us. The most sacred thing that we have in this nation, which is truly a sacred honor, which is the ability to vote in our leadership. We've been told that the vote was safe. We've been 
promise that it's we're going to get results. We are watching a corrupt system with new people being cast to the lions. Literally, those that are being sent to Washington, D.C. right now, it's like sending some farmers with pitchforks into the Roman Colosseum where they're given a choice. Be eaten by the lions or kiss our boots and polish them until you become conditioned by the rules of the legion. This is what's going to happen with those that were just voted in because nothing has been cleaned in D.C. And D.C. is an unclean city. It has rejected Jesus. It's rejected Father God. So we in our hearts have to be very clear as we move forward because a tremendous amount of accountability and justice must be delivered for the crimes that were done against humanity. And in that process... We have to learn the greater force of forgiveness and where that line is so that we're able to forgive, but that we're not giving away everything and turning ourselves into a doormat that they can just walk on, mock, and laugh merrily as they go. They think Christians are weak. We're anything but. However, to get there, we have to get clear on what God intended for us and the rights and obligations and authorities which he's given us. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed this evening as we come before you and humble ourselves by our free will before you, gracious, humbled, joyous of all that you bring in this world. Father, you have you continue to shower us with unprecedented opportunity and love and joy, forgiveness of things that we can't even imagine. And in spite of our sins, you are always there, constantly there, calling us home, loving us with all that you have. And so thank you, Father. Father, we're on a pursuit to seek the greater meanings and understandings of the authorities given to us. We're on a pursuit to embrace and more deeply be able to implement the principles of forgiveness. At the same time, understand our roles and responsibility in ensuring that justice and accountability are executed on this earth. Father, our prayers are that you can continue to shower us with the wisdoms and insights, clarity and discernment necessary to become greater stewards of the gifts that you've given and closer in our walk in the body of Christ. So guide us, Father, in this time. Bless this country and this land. Forgive this country and this land for its sins, its people, so many wander without good shepherds and often know not what they do. But at the same time, we're also very acutely aware that we have a leadership that knows better, that seeks to intentionally deceive and to lead people away from truth and the right things. They harm the little ones. They deceive the elderly and the innocent. And Father, we know that that requires justice to be delivered, to restore a balance to all things here. So with that, we pray for the sword of justice to strike to this land, to awaken the moral foundations that live within our hearts, to give us clarity in our eyes and what we see, to see this world as you see it, and to give discernment to our steps. 
We thank you, Father, for all that is given, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, patriots, there is a a lot to learn here. And it's important that we become as clear on this as our founding fathers were. I think one of the great gifts we've given in this time is the Founder's Bible. If you don't have one, you can go to thefoundersbible.com and it's it's thefoundersbible.com. And I do say this because it's important. If you want one of these Bibles, you'll save 20% by using the BARDS promo code, B-A-R-D-S. Okay, it's up to you. You can also use it on the digital version if you want to get that. So I'd encourage you to get a hold of one of these. They're an exceptionally powerful resource that gives great insight into how our founding fathers were very deeply connected and schooled in Scripture and what they were trying to do here. And as we understand the moral law and framework in our nation and what our founding fathers intended, we have greater weapons in our quiver to fight and to take back this nation in the name of Father God. So, patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us, and God always wins. But he has us here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. We are in a spiritual war. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then, or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe.